0: I've got a prescription for diabetes test strips. How much is the copay? That could take me a while to calculate. In the meantime, you should think about over-the-counter Contournext test strips. You get 35 for nineteen ninety-nine, and they're highly accurate. For full details, visit Contournext.com slash radio.
1: Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, Please visit LibriVox.org. Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. Read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter 21 The Attack. As soon as Silver disappeared, the captain, who had been closely watching him, turned toward the interior of the house and found not a man of us at his post but Gray. It was the first time we had ever seen him angry. Quarters! he roared. And then, as we slunk back to our places— Gray, he said. "'I'll put your name in the log. You've stood by your duty like a seaman. Mr. Trelawney, I'm surprised at you, sir. Doctor, I thought you had worn the King's coat. If that was how you served at Fontenoy, sir, you'd have been better in your berth.' The doctor's watch were all back at their loopholes the rest were busy loading the spare muskets, and every one with a red face, you may be certain, and a flea in his ear, as the saying is. The captain looked on for a while in silence, then he spoke. My lads, he said, I've given silver a broadside, I pitched it in red-hot on purpose, and before the hour's out, as he said, we shall be boarded. "'We are outnumbered. I needn't tell you that, but we fight in shelter. "'And, a minute ago, I would have said we fought with discipline. "'I've no manner of doubt that we can drub them, if you choose.' "'Then he went the round, and saw, as he said, that all was clear. "'On the two short sides of the house, east and west, there were only two loopholes.' On the south side, where the porch was, two again, and on the north side, five. There was a round score of muskets for the seven of us. The firewood had been built into four piles, tables, you might say, one about the middle of each side, and on each of these tables some ammunition and four loaded muskets were laid ready to the hand of the defenders. In the middle the cutlasses lay ranged. "'Toss out the fire,' said the captain. "'The chill is past, and we mustn't have smoke in our eyes.' The iron fire-basket was carried bodily out by Mr. Trelawney, and the embers smothered among sand. "'Hawkins hasn't had his breakfast. Hawkins, help yourself, and back to your post to eat it,' continued Captain Smollett. "'Lively now, my lad. You'll want it before you're done.' Hunter, serve out a round of brandy to all hands." And while this was going on, the captain completed, in his own mind, the plan of defence. "'Doctor, you will take the door,' he resumed. "'See, don't expose yourself. Keep within and fire through the porch. Hunter, take the east side there. Joyce, you stand by the west, my man.' Mr. Trelawney, you are the best shot. You and Gray will take this long north side with the five loopholes. It's there the danger is. If they can get up to it and fire upon us through our own ports, things would begin to look dirty. Hawkins, neither you nor I are much account at the shooting. We will stand by to load and bear a hand.' As the captain had said, the chill was past. As soon as the sun had climbed above our girdle of trees, it fell with all its force upon the clearing, and drank up the vapours at a draught. Soon the sand was baking, and the resin melting in the logs of the blockhouse. Jackets and coats were flung aside, shirts were thrown open at the neck, and rolled up to the shoulders, and we stood there, each at his post, in a fever of heat and anxiety. An hour passed away. "'Hang them!' said the captain. "'This is as dull as the doldrums. Gray, whistle for a wind!' And just at that moment came the first news of the attack. "'If you please, sir,' said Joyce. "'If I see anyone, am I to fire?' "'I told you so!' cried the captain. "'Thank you, sir.' returned Joyce, with the same quiet civility. Nothing followed for a time, but the remark had set us all on the alert, straining ears and eyes. The musketeers, with their pieces balanced in their hands, the captain out in the middle of the blockhouse, with his mouth very tight, and a frown on his face. So some seconds passed, till suddenly Joyce whipped up his musket and fired— The report had scarcely died away ere it was repeated, and repeated from without in a scattering volley shot behind shot like a string of geese from every side of the enclosure. Several bullets struck the log-house, but not one entered, and as the smoke cleared away and vanished, the stockade and the woods around it looked as quiet and empty as before. Not a bow waved, not a gleam of a musket-barrel betrayed the presence of our foes. "'Did you hit your man?' asked the captain. "Uh, "'No, sir,' replied Joyce. "'I believe not, sir.' "'Next best thing to tell the truth,' muttered Captain Smollett. "'Load his gun, Hawkins. How many should you say were on your side, Doctor?' "'I know precisely,' said Dr. Livesey three shots were fired on this side i saw three flashes two close together one farther to the west three repeated the captain and how many on yours mr trelawney but this was not so easily answered there had come many from the north seven by the squire's computation eight or nine according to gray from the east and west only a single shot had been fired It was plain, therefore, that the attack would be developed from the north, and that on the other three sides we were only to be annoyed by a show of hostilities. But Captain Smollett made no change in his arrangements. If the mutineers succeeded in crossing the stockade, he argued, they would take possession of any protected loophole and shoot us down like rats in our stronghold. Nor had we much time left to us for thought. Suddenly, with a loud huzzah, a little cloud of pirates leapt from the woods on the north side and ran straight on the stockade. At the same moment the fire was once more opened from the woods, and a rifle-ball sang through the doorway and knocked the doctor's musket into bits. The boarders swarmed over the fence like monkeys. Squire and Gray fired again and yet again. Three men fell, one forward into the enclosure two back on the outside. But of these one was evidently more frightened than hurt, for he was on his feet again in a crack, and instantly disappeared among the trees. Two had bit the dust, one had fled, four had made good their footing inside our defences, while from the shelter of the woods seven or eight men, each evidently supplied with several muskets, kept up a hot though useless fire on the log-house." The four who had boarded made straight before them for the building, shouting as they ran, and the men among the trees shouted back to encourage them. Several shots were fired, but such was the hurry of the marksmen that not one appeared to have taken effect. In a moment the four pirates had swarmed up the mound and were upon us. The head of Job Anderson, the bosun, appeared at the middle loophole. "'At em all hands! all hands!' he roared in a voice of thunder. At the same moment another pirate grasped Hunter's musket by the muzzle, wrenched it from his hands, plucked it through the loophole, and with one stunning blow laid the poor fellow senseless on the floor. Meanwhile a third, running unharmed all round the house, appeared suddenly in the doorway, and fell with his cutlass on the doctor. Our position was utterly reversed, a moment since we were firing under cover at an exposed enemy— Now it was we who lay uncovered and could not return a blow. The log-house was full of smoke, to which we owed our comparative safety. Cries and confusion, the flashes and reports of pistol-shots, and one loud groan rang in my ears. "'Out, lads, out and fight em' in the open—cutlasses!' cried the captain. I snatched a cutlass from the pile and someone, at the same time snatching another gave me a cut across the knuckles which I hardly felt. I dashed out of the door into the clear sunlight. Someone was close behind, I knew not whom. Right in front the doctor was pursuing his assailant down the hill, and, just as my eyes fell upon him, beat down his guard and sent him sprawling on his back with a great slash across his face. "'Round to the house, lads, round to the house!' cried the captain and even in the hurly-burly I perceived a change in his voice. Mechanically I obeyed, turned eastward, and, with my cutlass raised, ran round the corner of the house. Next moment I was face to face with Anderson. He roared aloud, and his hanger went up above his head, flashing in the sunlight. I had not time to be afraid, but as the blow still hung impending, leapt in a trice upon one side— and, missing my footing in the soft sand, rolled headlong down the slope. When I had first sallied from the door, the other mutineers had been already swarming up the palisade to make an end of us. One man in a red nightcap, with his cutlass in his mouth, had even got upon the top and thrown a leg across. Well, so short had been the interval, that, when I found my feet again, all was in the same posture the fellow with the red nightcap still half-way over, another still showing his head above the top of the stockade. And yet, in this breath of time, the fight was over, and the victory ours. Gray, following close behind me, had cut down the big bosun, ere he had time to recover from his lost blow. Another had been shot at a loophole in the very act of firing into the house, and now lay in agony, the pistol still smoking in his hand. A third, as I had seen, the doctor had disposed of at a blow. Of the four who had scaled the palisade, only one remained unaccounted for, and he, having left his cutlass on the field, was now clambering out again with the fear of death upon him. "'Fire! Fire from the house!' cried the doctor. "'And you lads back into cover!' But his words were unheeded no shot was fired and the last boarder made good his escape and disappeared with the rest into the wood in three seconds nothing remained of the attacking party but the five who had fallen four on the inside and one on the outside of the palisade the doctor and gray and i ran full speed for shelter the survivors would soon be back where they had left their muskets and at any moment the fire might recommence The house was by this time somewhat cleared of smoke, and we saw at a glance the price we had paid for victory. Hunter lay beside his loophole, stunned. Joyce, by his, shot through the head, never to move again. While right in the centre the squire was supporting the captain, one as pale as the other. "'The captain's wounded,' said Mr. Trelawney.
0: "'Have they
1: run?' asked Mr. Smollett. "'All that could you may be bound.' returned the doctor, but there's five of them will never run again. Five? cried the captain. Come, that's better. Five against three leaves us four to nine. That's better odds than we had at starting. We were seven to nineteen then, or thought we were, and that's bad to bear. Footnote. The mutineers were soon only eight in number for the man shot by Mr. Trelawney on board the schooner died that same evening of his wound. But this was, of course, not known till after by the faithful party. End of chapter 21 Part 5 My Sea Adventure Chapter 22 How My Sea Adventure Began There was no return of the mutineers— not so much as another shot out of the woods. They had got their rations for that day, as the captain put it, and we had the place to ourselves and a quiet time to overhaul the wounded and get dinner. Squire and I cooked outside in spite of the danger, and even outside we could hardly tell what we were at for the horror of the loud groans that reached us from the doctor's patients. Out of the eight men who had fallen in the action, only three still breathed that one of the pirates who had been shot at the loophole, Hunter and Captain Smollett. And of these the first two were as good as dead. The mutineer indeed died under the doctor's knife, and Hunter, do what we could, never regained consciousness in this world. He lingered all day, breathing loudly like the old buccaneer at home in his epileptic fit. But the bones of his chest had been crushed by the blow, and his skull fractured in falling and some time in the following night, without sign nor sound, he went to his maker. As for the captain, his wounds were grievous indeed, but not dangerous. No organ was fatally injured. Anderson's ball—for it was Job that shot him first—had broken his shoulder-blade and touched the lung not badly. The second had only torn and displaced some muscles in the calf. He was sure to recover, the doctor said. But in the meantime, and for weeks to come, he must not walk nor move his arm, nor so much as speak, when he could help it. My own accidental cut across the knuckles was a flea-bite. Dr. Livesey patched it up with plaster, and pulled my ears for me into the bargain. After dinner the squire and the doctor sat by the captain's side a while in consultation, and when they had talked to their heart's content, it being then a little past noon, The doctor took up his hat and pistols, girt on a cutlass, put the chart in his pocket, and with a musket over his shoulder, crossed the palisade on the north side, and set off briskly through the trees. Gray and I were sitting together at the far end of the blockhouse to be out of earshot of our officers, consulting, and Gray took his pipe out of his mouth and fairly forgot to put it back again, so thunderstruck was he at this occurrence. "'Why, in the name of Davy Jones?' said he. "'Is Dr. Livesey mad?' "'Why, no,' says I. "'He's about the last of this crew for that, I take it.' "'Well, shipmate,' said Gray, "'mad he may not be. "'But if he's not, my, my words, I am.' "'I take it,' replied I. "'The doctor has his idea, "'and if I am right, he's going now to see Ben Gunn.' I was right, as appeared later but in the meantime the house being stifling hot and the little patch of sand inside the palisade ablaze with midday sun i began to get another thought into my head which was not by any means so right What I began to do was to envy the doctor walking in the cool shadow of the woods with the birds about him, and the pleasant smell of the pines, while I sat grilling with my clothes stuck to the hot resin, and so much blood about me, and so many poor dead bodies lying all around, that I took a disgust of that place that was almost as strong as fear. All the time I was washing out the blockhouse, and then washing up the things from dinner, this disgust and envy kept growing stronger and stronger, till at last, being near a bread-bag, and no one then observing me, I took the first steps toward my escape, and filled both pockets of my coat with biscuit. I was a fool, if you like, and certainly I was going to do a foolish overbold act, but I was determined to do it with all the precautions in my power." These biscuits, should anything before me, would at least keep me from starving till far on in the next day. The next thing I laid hold of was a brace of pistols. As I already had a powder-horn and bullets, I felt myself well supplied with arms. As for the scheme I had in my head, it was not a bad one in itself. It was to go down the sandy spit that divides the anchorage on the east from the open sea, find the white rock I had observed last evening, and ascertained whether it was there or not that Ben Gunn had hidden his boat—a thing quite worth doing, as I still believe. But as I was certain I should not be allowed to leave the enclosure, my only plan was to take French leave and slip out when nobody was watching, and that was so bad a way of doing it as made the thing itself wrong. But I was only a boy, and I had made my mind up. Well, as things at last fell out! I found an admirable opportunity. The squire and grey were busy helping the captain with his bandages. The coast was clear. I made a bolt for it over the stockade and into the thickest of the trees, and before my absence was observed, I was out of cry of my companions. This was my second folly, far worse than the first, as I left but two sound men to guard the house. But, like the first, it was a help towards saving all of us. I took my way straight for the east coast of the island, for I was determined to go down the seaside of the Spit, to avoid all chance of observation from the anchorage. It was already late in the afternoon, although still warm and sunny. As I continued to thread the tall woods, I could hear from far before me not only the continuous thunder of the surf, but a certain tossing of foliage and grinding of boughs, which showed me the sea-breeze set in higher than usual. Soon cool draughts of air began to reach me, and a few steps farther I came forth into the open borders of the grove, and saw the sea lying blue and sunny to the horizon, and the surf tumbling and tossing its foam along the beach. I have never seen the sea quiet round Treasure Island. The sun might blaze overhead, the air be without a breath, the surface smooth and blue, but still these great rollers would be running along all the external coast, thundering and thundering by day and night, and I scarce believe there is one spot in the island where a man would be out of earshot of their noise. I walked along beside the surf with great enjoyment, till, thinking I was now got far enough to the south, I took the cover of some thick bushes and crept warily up to the ridge of the spit. Behind me was the sea. In front— the anchorage. The sea-breeze, as though it had the sooner blow itself out by its unusual violence, was already at an end. It had been succeeded by light variable airs from the south and south-east, carrying great banks of fog, and the anchorage, under lee of Skeleton Island, lay still and leaden, as when first we entered it. The Hispaniola on that unbroken mirror was exactly portrayed from the truck to the water-line, the jolly Roger hanging from her peak. Alongside lay one of the gigs. Silver in the stern-sheets, him I could always recognise, while a couple of men were leaning over the stern bulwarks, one of them with a red cap, the very rogue that I had seen some hours before stride-legs upon the palisade. Apparently they were talking and laughing, though at that distance, upward of a mile, I could, of course, hear no word of what was said. All at once there began the most horrid, unearthly screaming, which at first startled me badly, though I had soon remembered the voice of Captain Flint, and even thought I could make out the bird by her bright plumage as she sat perched upon her master's wrist. Soon after the jolly-boat shoved off and pulled for shore, and the man with the red cap and his comrade went below by the cabin companion. Just about the same time the sun had gone down behind the spy-glass, and as the fog was collecting rapidly it began to grow dark in earnest. I saw I must lose no time if I were to find the boat that evening. The white rock, visible enough above the brush, was still some eighth of a mile farther down the spit, and it took me a goodish while to get up with it, crawling often on all fours among the scrub. Night had almost come when I laid my hands on its rough sides. Right below it there was an exceeding small hollow of green turf, hidden by banks and a thick understory about knee-deep, that grew there very plentifully, and in the centre of the dell, sure enough, a little tent of goatskins, like what the gypsies carry about with them in England. I dropped into the hollow, lifted the side of the tent, and there was Ben Gunn's boat. Home-made, if ever anything was home-made, a rude, lopsided framework of tough wood, and stretched upon that a covering of goatskin with the hair inside. The thing was extremely small, even for me, and I can hardly imagine that it could have floated with a full-sized man. There was one athwart set as low as possible, a kind of stretcher in the bows, and a double paddle for propulsion. I had not then seen a coracle such as the ancient Britons made, but I have seen one since, and can give you no fairer idea of Ben Gunn's boat than by saying it was like the first and the worst coracle ever made by a man. But the great advantage of the coracle it certainly possessed, for it was exceedingly light and portable. Well, now that I had found the boat, you would have thought I had had enough of truancy for once. But, in the meantime, I had taken another notion, and become so obstinately fond of it that I would have carried it out, I believe, in the teeth of Captain Smollett himself. This was to slip out under cover of the night, cut the Hispaniola adrift, and let her go ashore where she fancied. I had quite made up my mind that the mutineers, after their repulse of the morning, had nothing nearer their hearts than to up-anchor and away to sea. This I thought it would be a fine thing to prevent, and now that I had seen how they left their watchman unprovided with a boat, I thought it might be done with little risk. Down I sat to wait for darkness, and made a hearty meal of biscuit. It was a night out of ten thousand for my purpose. The fog had now buried all heaven. As the last rays of daylight dwindled and disappeared, absolute blackness! settled down on Treasure Island, and when at last I shouldered my coracle and groped my way stumblingly out of the hollow where I had supped, there were but two points visible on the whole anchorage. One was the great fire on shore by which the defeated pirates lay carousing in the swamp. The other, a mere blur of light upon the darkness, indicated the position of the anchored ship. She had swung round to the ebb. Her bow was now toward me. The only lights on board were in the cabin, and what I saw was merely a reflection on the fog of the strong rays that flowed from the stern window. The air had already run some time, and I had to wade through a long belt of swampy sand, where I sank several times above the ankle before I came to the edge of the retreating water, and, wading a little way in, with some strength and dexterity, set my coracle, keel downward on the surface end of chapter 22
0: If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business, especially in today's economy. But over 31,000 businesses do know their numbers because they use NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of financials, planning, budgeting, and inventory so you can manage risk and improve margins. Everything you need, all in one place. See why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com go. NetSuite.com go.